Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. I also don't like people knowing my middle name is Garrett. Oh, man. 50... Lots of 50 cool points for Griffin, right? Yeah, Matthew Garrett. Anyways, good morning, church. How are we doing? Come on, somebody. We just came off the back of I Thank God. What an amazing morning at church. Can you give it up for our worship crew? Wow. Wow, man. Uh, Woo! Uh, it's hot in here. Uh, and by the way, praise God for an amazing building that is sure to keep us snug through the winter. Amen. I've been worried for a second there, and I'm like, eh, man, each time it gets colder, I'm not noticing it. In fact, I'm trying to turn the fans up even more. Uh, but that's probably because worship is so hot and fun, right? But, man, this morning we are continuing our series. How good did Zach do last week, by the way? Zach Kramer, come on, somebody. Catching lightning in a body. Um, it was a great message. And so this morning we are continuing our Game Changer series. Somebody say, Game Changer. And unlike Zach, I'm going to hit the uh, Game Changer proclamation this week. Um, had to, had to, firmly underneath the bus. Um, but this morning, I'm going to I'm gonna say it, and then you're going to repeat it after me. Does that sound good? It's going to be up on the big screen. Y'all ready? Let's get it. Let's proclaim. He is, he, he is who he says he is. I am who he says I am. Praise him like you believe that right now. One, two, three, go. Come on, somebody. I just, I, I love church history. I love being a part of the body and bride of Christ. I love the deep roots that we have. And sometimes, you know, we just need a creed. We just need a declaration. We just need a proclamation. We just need to gather around one central thought and idea that is true, that is biblically founded, that cannot be shaken or removed from us. But we just latch on to what God says is true about him. And more importantly, what he says is true about you. Because right now, we are living in a time and space where how many of you know truth? It's a low commodity, amen? We need all the truth, especially about who he is and who we are more than ever. Oh, man. What up, Reese? Yo, Tyson Fury, though, right? Oh, my gosh, my man. Did anybody see the boxing fight last night? All right. Well, it's all good. Uh, it was great. There's a guy who goes by a gypsy. Anyways, um, this morning we we're continuing Game Changer. So if you're taking notes, the title of my message is where my note taker's at. We got free notepads. Oh, we also, do we got so many good free resources out there now? Have a look on your way out. Free resources, the whole entire thing. Right there, all those books and notebooks and things, free. Be blessed. But where are my note takers at? One more time. Awesome. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, this morning, tell them my message is, I am whatever you say I am. Did Matt grow up a hip-hop fan? Yes, he did. I am whatever you say I am. And this morning, we're going to be coming out of 1 Peter. Who loves the book of Peter? Come on, somebody. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. If you don't have your Bible, say hello to the Sky Bible. She's up there. She's awesome. And Nat is controlling her in the back. Everybody say what up, Nat. There we go. 
All right, starting off, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, here we go. So put away all malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy, envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that, it, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him a living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You, yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who's grateful to receive mercy in the house? Come on, somebody. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Wage war that wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're going to pray, and we're going to see what God wants to do with that. Amen. Father God, right now, whew, Father, we just, we just set aside our expectations. We, we set aside um, our own notions, our own ideas, God. And right now, Father, we just firmly place ourselves, not of students of culture, not of students of politics, not of students of a specific university, although getting into, you know, Michigan University is amazing, uh, we just position ourselves this morning, Father God, as students of your word, as students of your word. And like Paul says, God, may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So, Father, this morning, come and teach us. Come and change us. Come and correct us, God. We put ourselves under your word for your glory, God. So, word we know that the word of God says it does not go forth and return void. So, Father God, let your word loose. May it go into us and do what you have intended and purposed it to do this morning. In Jesus' mighty name of faith-filled church said, amen. amen. Come on, somebody. I am whatever you say I am. Man, that phrase just gets me pumped because I think about that. I think about it this morning, and I go, we are in a time in a place where every single person you know, every single person you see on TV, every single person you see on your uh, TikTok and your Instagrams and all those other things the kids are into, every single person, franchise media, wherever, every single person has this idea of who you are to be, of what you are to be. Every single person on this earth has an opinion. How many of you know everybody's got an opinion? Yeah. My dad used to say opinions are, anyways. So... But when I think about that phrase, 
I am whatever you say that I am. Man, I just feel like I can leave here today and no matter what is happening outside those walls today, no matter what happens in our world tomorrow, no matter what collapses, no matter what goes down, no matter what beliefs are instituted, no matter what happens in our nation and in our world and in our very state and city today, I can stand and I can proclaim that I am whoever he says I am. I am not my emotions. I am not what has been taken from me, stolen from me, spoken about me, or spoken to me. I am whatever he says that I am. Does anybody believe that this morning? Come on. I am not my emotions. I am not my feelings. I am not my desires. I am not what you say about me. I am not what was being spread about me. I am not the sum total of my failures. I am Whatever he says that I am. I am whatever he says that I am. But so often, you and I as Jesus followers of sons and daughters of the Most High God, suddenly we can hear that and we can get hyped and we can be excited and we can have like this camp revival moment experience, right? And we can leave this church today and we'll get three days into our week and we're like, I am whatever you say I am. And then midweek, Thursday comes, something happens, something unexpected you open up your app or you open up your news source. Somebody said something to you over text and you just put a bunch of emotions and things attached to a false narrative that they weren't even attending. But you took it that way because you're broken. And suddenly, we're not living and believing that we are whatever he says we are. Suddenly, we are living and we are believing that we are whatever we feel. Whatever we think. Whatever we experience. How many of you are grateful for a God that says, you are what I say you are, not what your experiences are? Come on, somebody. There is a truth truer than facts. Amen? Amen. But what do we do with that? Because we'll arrive at this midweek struggle bus. We'll arrive after this. We can get so pumped and so excited and so on fire for God. And then suddenly, unexpected circumstances and situations, sickness, marriage, whatever, things happen, right? And suddenly, we're not whatever we, he says we are. We are whatever we believe or feel or desire or think in a given moment. Friends, I believe that today, the reason that is, is, and I don't mean any shame or condemnation on anybody today. My hope and my prayer is that we would get to where Peter is at. But the reason I believe that is, is because it's easy and exciting and there's emotion and we can get stoked. But I believe that at some point in time, rubber meets the road, unexpected situations arise, and who we are really is needed most in that moment. And we find out what we are made of, what we actually believe, what is on the inside of us. How many of you know when it all goes bottoms up, who you are is critical to navigating that situation? And suddenly we find ourselves, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in the Bible, and I believe the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, and I believe in my Father God. I believe it. I believe Him. 
I believe what he says about him. But I don't believe what he says about me. I don't believe what he says about me. Because we're in that moment. We're in the thick of it. We're in the middle of the most realist situation that we've ever experienced. And we believe God is who he says he is. But we are having the hardest time tapping in to who he says we are. And it's in that moment, if we do not believe we are who he says we are, just as much as he believes he is who he says he is. If we don't believe that as much as he does, we will forfeit his word. Instead, we will give into our feelings. We will forfeit his word and we will give into his into our feelings. I feel like, and I'm not and believe me today, we're gonna go a lot further than this, but I am emphatically convinced today. I am absolutely completely persuaded that we don't see the miracles that we would see, that we don't see the promotion that we would see, that we don't see the doors open that we should see, that we don't see the marriages restored that we should see, that we don't see the lives turned around and completely transformed by the power of the gospel that we should see. We don't see it. Because at the end of the day, we don't actually believe it. And until we get to a point where what he says is more real to us than what we feel, we will continue to see revival pass us by, lives pass us by. Friends, this is a game changer because the world isn't the comfy, Christian, cushiony place that it used to be. I don't know if you've checked the time and looked outside. I don't know if you've turned on CNN or Fox News or any other news source. I don't know if you've looked on your Facebook, but the world isn't what the previous generation was raised up in as far as church goes, as far as Christians go, as far as what is going to be socially acceptable for you and me going forward. What you believe matters more today because more of your belief will be required from you today. Because every single thing from all sides is going to be trying to talk you out of what God says is best for your life and what is available to your life. And the wild thing is he's either all of it or he's none of it. He's either called us to holiness and to healing, or he's called us to none of it. He's either called us to provision, purity, or he's called us to none of it. He is either who he says he is, or we are either who he says we are, or none of it is none of it. And friends, by what you choose to believe will determine how you benefit from it. What you receive from it. You can have as much from God as you desire to have from God, or you can have as little, but it will all come down to what you actually believe. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? You see, friends, it's getting hot up in here. You mind to take my jacket off? I look presentable for a moment, right? It's all good. You see, friends, I love Peter. Peter's the man. Honestly, Peter is, uh, thanks, babe. Uh, 
Peter is my favorite, aside from Jesus, okay, let me, let me preface that real quick, okay, besides Jesus, Peter is actually my favorite person in the New Testament because I'm Peter. I'm Peter, and if you know me, you know that's true, and it's probably frustrated you a few times, but I'm Peter. And Peter, he is writing to some Gentiles who are just non-Jewish believers, okay? He's writing to Rome, his church that he oversees at this time. And there are people just being allowed to spread false doctrines and false gospels and false this and false narratives and all of these things. And the church is gobbling it up because it's Rome. Rome, you're already coming from the most debaucherous society the world has ever seen besides maybe, oh, I don't know, 2021, okay? Like, it is nuts. If you've ever seen anything about the sword and sandals, you'll know Rome didn't care about nothing, okay? Except victory and gluttony and pious. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they just wanted glory, glory, glory all for themselves, and whatever they did achieved that, right? And so this is Peter. He's writing to these new believers— his church in Rome, that have been rescued out of the most debaucherous society the world at this time had ever seen, the most hedonistic, the most un-Jesus-looking society of all time. And he's writing to them. And this is the same man who is the most pathological disciple of all time. The most pathological disciple of all time. The most, I'm going to call him pathological Peter going forward. Matt, what do you mean? I mean that he was so pathological that Peter was more driven for the beginning of his ministry. When he first comes on the scene, Peter has been more driven his entire time with Jesus, in fact was more driven by pathological, by desires, by emotions, than by what he thought, not really what he believed. Like, he was more driven by his feelings than he was the truth that sat beside him, Jesus, right? This is Peter. He is so pathological with it. And yet, he's writing to his church in Rome, who is coming from this kind of society, and he is saying to them, put away. Put away all envy, all malice, all slander, all of it. Put away everything. It's unbefitting of you, and we'll get to that in just a second. But this is Peter. He's saying, put away these things that you feel, these things that have controlled you, these things that have pushed you forward, which is wild to me because, again, he's the most pathological disciple that we have. Peter should give us all hope because the man who, you know, once pathological, again, running on emotion, running on just whims, Jesus is about to be arrested, and Peter, being a fisherman, not a soldier, decides to take a sword off a royal guard and take a swing at someone's ear. What? Nobody in a fight swings a sword at an ear, especially back then. You would know. It's a, you're going into the chest. Like, what are you doing, Peter? You're pathological. He didn't have any control. He just saw red and he swung. Same guy who when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, tell me it's you, Jesus, and tell me I can come out there to you and I will do it. And he just jumped at the thing. He didn't even know it was Jesus to begin with. He just saw what could have been an apparition or a person walking on the water. But you know what? Pathological Peter. 
He's also the same guy that even though Jesus gave him a heads up, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That ain't me, Jesus. I'm Peter. Jesus is like, I know, you're pathological with it. <laughs> Fire's going to be on. The world's going to come at you. People are going to start to ask you if you know me. And guess what? You're going to feel the pinch, Peter. Pinch pathological Peter. We're going to keep going with the P's. Alliteration Sunday. Come on. Just kidding. I don't know. I don't think I know that many P words. Uh, <laughs> pause. But Peter, he did. He denied Jesus three times, even though he had full warning. Full warning, full knowledge, completely. Jesus, the Lord and Savior of the universe, again, told him, nah, you're going to deny me three times. That ain't me. No, you are whatever I say you are. But Peter, Peter at some point, he decided that he's going to be whoever Jesus says that he was. And you know what happened? He goes from the guy who would walk out on water with Jesus in seclusion, but would deny him in the public square to being the leader of the early church and healing people with his shadow in the public square. That is what God is able to do when we believe that he could do exceedingly above all that we ask, dream, or imagine, and therefore we're the recipients of that kind of king. Praise him one time if you believe it. And so Peter, he says, put all of this away. And I had some bunny trails that I wanted to go on, and maybe we'll hit a couple of those things this morning real quick. But he says, put away these things. And why that stands out to me is he says, put away your malice and your envy and these things that you desire. Put away your slander. Put away these things. Again, things were seeping into the church, and people were running off malice and envy and all of these things. Do you know what malice is? Have you ever heard the phrase malice before? Malice and envy are these perverted versions of jealousy. Pause. Jealousy isn't actually sin. Did you know that? Jealousy isn't sin until it becomes envious and malice. Why? Because our God says, hey, I'm a jealous God. You put something in my rightful place, and I'm not happy about that. Jealousy isn't a problem. Jealousy just means that you know what? Matt is putting church before Adrienne, and that's a problem for her. And one that's really trying to get through my thick skull, okay? It's just being honest. But that's jealousy. But what happens is suddenly these aren't just people who are jealous about, you know, Caesar or other things that are going on in Rome at the time. They're not just jealous about economics and jealous about their city. They are becoming sinful with it because malice and envy is when murder enters your heart because you want the position someone has or what they possess more than you want to see them know Jesus. I'm just so overcome by envy. This guy at work and this thing, and I should get it, and I should this, and, uh, and it's all of a sudden there's just this uh, in the inside of you. 
You can even be envious or malice for righteousness. How many do you know who, yes, I love that we are excited about, you know, turning our country around and really rallying the Christian troops to start doing some things because we've been silent sitting in our pews for too long. I'm excited about these things. The good thing about things getting dark is that we ultimately get brighter, okay? Like, it's a good thing, and I'm excited, but how many do you know? The second something happens, they get a notification on their phone, their news outlet, you know, in the, in the hour that we're in. And all of a sudden, it's just, ah, Whitmer this, Biden this, Harris this. Argh! And I'm like, I've never heard Jesus go, Argh! you know, like, he's on the cross going, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we're over here going, Argh! Come on, that's a fun noise. But suddenly, we think we're jealous for righteousness. We think we're fighting the good fight to see morality come back to this country. But friends, if morality leads you to sin, it's no longer morality. It's sin. It's sin. And so suddenly, our jealousy going, no, this should be God's proper place in this area, and in this area, and in this area, even in our own lives, these areas. But we just, something on the inside of us, this desire. And we think it's righteous anger, but righteous anger, if it causes you to sin, is therefore, by definition, no longer righteous but this is what we see. This is what's happening in the church right now. Malice and envy are like a poison. I wasn't even planning on going here. Are like a poison in the wellspring of life of King Jesus. That he says, one taste of what I got. And you'll never hunger and thirst again. But instead, we are allowing malice and envy to poison the well. And it's poisoning Christians. And it's poisoning churches. And it's poisoning pulpits. And some of us have began, those of us that bear the responsibility of teaching and preaching God's word, those of us in the pulpit, some of us have actually made our names and our ministry off of tearing someone else down. Friends, if we try to build the, bri- or if we try to build the body by tearing down the bride, we are missing it. I'm sorry. The word of God, the armor of God, this whole thing, this is for tearing down strongholds, principalities, and darkness, every lofty argument that raises against God, right? That's what the Word of God says. That's what Paul, the most for real dude, said. He said it's about lofty arguments that raise themselves against God, against principalities, sin, the enemy, demonic oppression and possession. Like, that's what we're fighting against. But no, we got poison in the pulpit, and some of us today, can I just be your pastor for a minute, even if you're new this morning, and maybe you're like, I don't know about this church, can I just be your pastor for just one second? Some of us, we got to stop listening to preachers, teachers, and media outlets that are only built on tearing other people down. There's a difference between telling the truth, okay, and committing murder in your heart. Jesus, he goes, man, I tell you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you have committed murder. 
Jesus in the same entire message. He goes, let me tell you, friend. You're raging against all this sexual machinery and all these things that are going on in this industry that people are propagating. And I get it. I'm mad too. But let me tell you this. If you even look at a woman, if you even look at someone with lust in your heart, you have already stepped out on what I've called you to live by. Are you a murderer? Are you an adulterer? Am I a murderer? Am I an adulterer? Because I don't have to check to see if there's blood on my hands. I just have to check and see if there's malice and envy in my heart. Coming in hot. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Do I have murder and envy in my heart? See, the crazy thing about Peter is he's a pathological disciple. And Peter, he is telling us to put these things away. Pause. Put this away. Wait, 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 wait. Peter, the most pathological disciple we have, is actually telling me I can control my desires? Wait, 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 wait. You sure? You sure that's fisherman Peter? Peter's out here. He's telling us that we can put away our feelings. Peter? Pathological Peter? I can put away my feelings. I can put my desires on the back burner. Wait, Peter, are you telling me, the same guy who took a swing at an ear, I actually can have self-control? And Peter goes, huh, yeah, actually, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> what you know? God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Power of love and self-control. That's what sound mind means, self-control. Peter's saying, put this away. This might be news to some of us today, and let me tell you, it's good news that you don't actually have to be led by every feeling, desire, notion, or impulse that you have. You don't actually have to live as someone who's being driven, but you can actually do the driving, that you can actually exercise this thing called self-control. Maybe this is a bit practical for us this morning, real quick, but let's stop here for a second. You can actually have self-control. The Lord is walking back in the room. Earlier, Adrian goes, repent, and then all of a sudden the door opened, and then my father-in-law was like, well, Jesus just walked in. I was like, how good is that? How good is that? You're welcome in this place, Lord. I can actually have self-control. Yeah, you can actually have self-control. Pathological Peter is saying this to you. And if he is saying it to you, then you know all things are possible with God. You know that you know that you know. I can actually put this away. I don't have to let these desires, Matt. We're in a time and a place where everywhere I turn, they're saying, fulfill your desires. We live in a gluttonous society. We have to start pulling out these Old Testament big words for sin if we're actually going to shake anybody loose from their bondage, don't we? We have to start saying, this isn't just about sexual impulse and sexual immorality, friends. This is gluttony. What does that mean? You are consuming anything you feel like consuming as often as you feel like consuming it as much as you desire to consume it. But we just give in. And we just give in, and we just give in. And yet, Peter is saying, 
put it away. Well, how do we put it away, Peter? I'm glad that you asked this morning. Is anybody else glad that we asked that this morning? How do we put it away? Jesus says this. Jesus says, hunger and thirst after righteousness and all else will be added on to you. Hunger and thirst after righteousness and all else will be added on to you. But here's where we as sheep, bat, get it wrong. Sorry, I had a week off. I went to a prayer advance with 35 other senior pastors, and I am, woo, losing it, okay? So we're sheep, bat, and we get it wrong. We get it wrong because what we decide to do is we hear, I'm a hunger and thirst after righteousness and influence. I'm a hunger and thirst after righteousness and a wife and a husband. I'm a hunger and thirst after righteousness and pornography. I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness and promotion. I'm going to hunger and thirst after righteousness and X, Y, Z. And then we expect that all else will be added on to us. But from what Jesus just said, that sounds like a pretty exclusive diet to me. Doesn't it? Hunger and thirst after righteousness and all else will be added on to you. He, he totally set it up that way. So that you don't try and add your own spin to it. Because you know what humans we like to do? We like to live by this thing called replacement theory. We like to live by replacement theory, right? Look at it. It's in every area of our culture. I'm, in order to abstain from this, I have to then replace it with this. Oh, man, you know what? Beach season's coming. No more Snickers. Okay, I'm, I'm thicker than a Snicker. Like, no more Snickers. I want a carrot. Problem is, we're sitting there with our sticks of carrot, but we're still desiring Snickers. Friends, replacement theory. God isn't interested in replacement theory. God is interested in his word. Whew. God doesn't work by replacement theory. God works on his word. Why? Because his word doesn't empower you to replace your sin. His word empowers you to believe his word. His word empowers you to be renewed by his word. We're not replacing our sin. We're not replacing our thoughts. We're being renewed by his word. Amen replacement theory miss me with it because how many of you know Ooh. you want to talk about repentance come on somebody replacement theory how many of you know it is entirely possible entirely possible to replace a sinful act with what we think is a righteous act but still desire that which is sinful I just replaced it. My desire didn't change. But God's not interested in replacement. He's just interested in renewal. He's not interested in you being a cleaned up version of you. He's interested in you being a new version of you. He's, in fact, he's not even interested in you still being you. He's interested in you being Jesus. That's what he said. No longer I that lives, but Christ that lives through me, right? He's not interested in cleaned up Matt. He's interested in hung on a cross Jesus. But here we are. Hunger and thirsting after righteousness and X, Y, and Z. And we think that God is actually going to bless that. And Peter is saying to his church in Rome, listen, it's not like that. Bless you. It's not how I work. That's not how Jesus is. We don't just replace these areas in us that are fallen 
and we try and make up for it by doing good works. That's not the thing. Faith without works is dead as long as, as well as faith or works without faith is dead. Like, we got to get this today. These two things, they go hand in hand. So while, yes, some discipline changing some things in our lives, consuming different things, yeah, that's needed. Most importantly, hunger and thirsting after righteousness, then all else will be added onto you. Peter says you can actually put these things away. You can put these things away. Nat, can you bring up that verse again, that first one? Okay, go to verse 2. He goes this. So instead, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Does anybody want a prophetic word today? Grow up. Grow up. Grow the heaven up. See, Peter, he says, put this stuff away. You can actually have self-control. And just like you can have self-control, just like you could put this anger and malice and hate and envy and all these things away that could consume you, Rome, you got to understand that you were born again. You are born again. But where we get it twisted is we think salvation is just a doorway, and we don't realize it is the spiritual equivalent to a natural birth. You have started over. You have gone back to the beginning, you've collected $200, you avoided jail, and you got Jesus' power living on the inside of you, and now God says, grow up. Some would say it's probably immature to hunger and thirst after righteousness and think we have to add something to it when God says, no, no, I'm going to add all else onto it. That's immaturity. That's baby thinking. That's kid talk. No, 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 no. Righteousness and righteousness alone. He says, put on. Go, put off and go after pure spiritual milk. Hunger and thirst after that. He says, grow up into salvation. We didn't know that, did we? Some of us in here today, we're going, wait, I actually have to grow up in my salvation? Yes. Yes. There is actually a maturity to following Jesus. There's actually a growth process to following Jesus. There is actually things that are expected of you as a Jesus follower that's like, yeah, year one, I get that you're not there yet. Year five, where are you? We have to grow up in our salvation. Well, pastor, I just need you to pray for me. When was the last time you prayed for you? I'm here for it. I'm your pastor. I love you. There's not a single thing I wouldn't do. I would die for anybody in this room right here, right now. But man, eventually, it can't be on my faith and my faith alone. We've got to begin to reproduce this thing in us. Man, can you just come to me? My marriage this, my marriage that. I get it. I'm for it. Here's what the Bible says. What are you going to do with it? We have to grow up in our salvation. Man, I'm just not getting along well at work, and people are spreading lies about me. Yeah, that sucks. My heart hurts for you. I'm with you in it. You know what we're going to do, though? We're going to be like Paul 
<laughs> and we're going to mount up and say, hey, let's see if they're full of hot air. Like, and we're going to have the conversation. Hey, why are you saying these things about me? We're not just going to pray that it goes away, that slander disappears, that all these things that are happening or that we're being attacked by just suddenly disappear. No, we're Christians. And by Christians, we are the light. And by light, we have controlling interests in the world. Because darkness has to flee when the light enters the room. A.K.A. All the sin, all the tomfoolery, all the gossip, all the lies, whatever it is that's going on in your life, it has to cease when a Christian decides to light it up. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. Are you what he says you are or aren't you? Am I what you say I am or aren't you? The thing about this, and we're going to keep moving along because I know we're having a great service so far and we're five minutes over noon and it is fine. You're all here. We're going to heaven. It's good. Uh, but Jesus, or Peter, next he says this. Check this out. He says, okay, taste and see that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, a living stone. Here's the deal, friends. You and I. As Jesus followers, as Christians, okay, we, this is part of growing up is recognizing what you are. And he says that you are a living stone. Problem is, we have a lot of Christians today not living as a living stone, but living as a rolling stone. Oh, when favor's going my way, I'm going to roll towards Jesus. Yo, when my relationship's going good, I'm going to roll towards Jesus. Oh, you know what? When it's all going to hell in a handbasket, I'm going to roll away from Jesus. Oh, you know what, when my desires come in and my doubt comes in and I'm feeling afflicted and you know what, I'm just really depressed, I'm going to roll away from Jesus. And I'm going to roll away from church on my way out. And I'm going to roll away from all accountability and people who love me because that's what a rolling stone does. Hello, Lord. We're living like a rolling stone when Peter says you're a living stone. What is the difference? I'm glad that you asked. The difference this morning is that a rolling stone has no foundation. A rolling stone has no purpose. It has no motivation. A rolling stone has no desire to stay put, to stand, to build, to fight against, to establish something bigger than itself. A rolling stone is tossed to and fro. A rolling stone goes where the path of least resistance. A rolling stone would much rather live going downhill because it's easier to get there than it is to stay put. A rolling stone has no conviction but you're not a rolling stone are you that's not what God says you are God says you're a living stone what does a living stone do it has a firm foundation his name is Christ alone the cornerstone okay Jesus is my firm foundation the Word of God is my firm foundation this church is my foundation so when I'm feeling depressed guess where I'm at I'm at church when things aren't going my way, guess where I'm at? Boys and babes crew, our men's and women's ministry. Well, there's, you know, there's nobody there my age. Does that matter how old the rock is? We're living stones. Man, we all say we want a multi-generational, multicultural church, but nobody wants to be a living stone and stay and build it. Oh, man, God's good, eh? Nobody wants to stick around to build it. We'd rather go the path of least resistance and find something else that's already built with somebody who's 40 is going to come in and they're going to see the other few 40-year-olds in here and go, you know what, I could be a part of this. And suddenly that rolling stone rolled into our home and now is a living stone. 
a living stone. But we're not tossed to and fro because we're built on a solid foundation. No, 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 we have conviction. My conviction is that this is my home, this is my tribe, these are my people. And I'm going to build here, I'm going to tithe here, I'm going to give here, I'm going to serve here, I'm going to post here, I'm going to invite people to here. This is going to be where I navigate because this is where God has called me to be. You are a living stone. And Peter doesn't stop there, does he? He says, you're a living stone who is called to be built up into a spiritual house. <sighs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not just a, I'm not only not a rolling stone. But I actually have a call and purpose on my life that is so big, that is so grand, that literally skyscraper is the limit. I don't have to be a hobbit home. I don't have to be a, a trailer. I could be a mansion. I could be a palace. I could be a kingdom. I could be a skyscraper. I can go as far in salvation as a spiritual house as I desire and I want and am called to. And God actually has more for my life than maybe I'm seeing right in front of me. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. You see, Peter, he is a Jewish boy. And he was raised going to Hebrew school. And he knows all of these amazing things about God and his history that uh, these Gentiles in Rome do not have any understanding. But do you know what Peter is able to do that I think more Christians today, we should probably learn how to do this? We take what is complex about God because of who he is, and we go to the Gentiles, the people who don't know Jesus yet, and we say this is who he is. Because Peter is speaking to Rome, and he doesn't go oh, well, Jesus was my rabbi, and a rabbi is this. Romans have no idea. They have no lens for what a rabbi is. They didn't grow up in that. But do you know what they do have a lens for? A priest. And so Peter, he says, you're supposed to grow up into this spiritual house. You are supposed to be a pillar of light. Every Christian, not just pastor, not just preacher, evangelist, prophet, worship leader, every Christian this isn't so much about the five-fold ministry as it is every believer understanding you are a spiritual house, a light on the hill that cannot be hidden. You don't put a lamp over, okay? You keep this thing going and you keep it building. But if that doesn't suit you, because in Rome, uh, obviously some of the most beautiful architecture in the world, again, these boys that he's talking to, these men and women, they would understand this. He says to them, you're his royal priesthood. You're his royal priesthood. Well, guess what they have lens for? Not a rabbi, but they understand a priest. Because a royal priest, do you know what that is? That's someone who's royalty by association. And they're called to a higher standard of living. Do you see what Peter is teaching them here? He is telling and he's sowing into his church. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You are royalty by association and adoption. You are royalty by association and adoption. And as priest, as such, you are called to a higher standard of living. What does that look like? Well, is how I feel right now worthy of a royal priest? Is this thing I'm about to go do, is this, is, this, is this worthy of royalty? Would a royal priesthood go and do this? Peter takes it up and she goes, you're his holy nation. Would a holy nation partake in the events and the acts that I'm about to go and partake in is what's coming out of my mouth are the beliefs that are happening inside my heart is this worthy of a royal priest because so many Christians 
friends, can I tell you that we completely forget that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us? And so we may not voice certain things that come into us, but we are definitely cultivating and thinking them. And I feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit is just inside of Matt going, do you taste what I taste? Do you feel what I feel? Are you feeling this? Are you hearing yourself? Do you understand what's happening on the inside of you? Did you forget that I live here? Matt, what are you thinking? Matt, what are you believing? Matt, what are you consuming? Matt, what are you putting in here? I live here, and it's not rent-free. It was paid in full by Jesus. I have residency here. Did you forget when you backed up the garbage truck of the stupid thoughts that you have? I'm here. Matt, this is not what a royal priesthood looks like. This is not what a holy nation looks like. What are you putting inside of you? What are you putting inside of you? Because Jesus, and we're moving along, Jesus says, or Peter says this, he says, you are God's chosen people. You can't be royalty without being chosen. You are his chosen possession. Possession, 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 possession. Possession is only bad when it's by anything other than God. Get that today. Possession is only bad if it's by anything other than God, because how many of us, we can look at our lives and we can go, man, I am possessed by my marriage, I'm possessed by stress, I'm possessed by my work, I'm possessed by what's going on in our country, I'm possessed by sex, I'm possessed by this, that, and the other thing, I'm possessed by her and by him, and all of a sudden we can sit back, we can clear our eyes, and we can have a sober look at our lives and go, am I possessed by the light because he says he's my chosen people, drawn out by his marvelous light, or am I possessed by darkness? Do you want to know how you know what you are possessed by? Is the light growing brighter or is the light growing dimmer? Is the darkness growing darker or is the darkness growing dimmer? You will know what you are possessed by, by the amount of light and or darkness your life, your heart, your spirit, your insides possess. Friends, when we start putting these things together and we start saying, well, my marriage possesses me, sex possesses me, politics possesses me, the state of our nation possesses me, uh, depression possesses me, suicide possesses me. And we start thinking about all these things, promotion and, and desires, they possess me. Suddenly it looks a lot less like possession and more like imprisonment. And how do you know whether you are imprisoned by something or you are a possession of God? I can tell you. How do you think? How do you act? And how do you talk when you're not here? Am I imprisoned by myself, by the world, by people, by culture? Or am I a chosen possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of God? Well, how do you talk when you're not here? What do you look at when you're not here? What's your confession when you're not here? What are your beliefs when you're not here? What are the activities that you engage in when you're not here? When you're not in this room, this temple, this place, with God's people and God's presence and God's word and God's worship, when you're not in what heaven is going to look like for eternity, although I'm pretty sure Jesus is a much better preacher than I am, what does your life look like when you are not 
are you imprisoned or are you his possession? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Worship team, you can make your way up here. We're going to land this bird. I got one more piece of scripture I want to share with you this morning. Thank you so much for your patience and thank you so much for allowing me to preach the word of God to you this morning. Is that all right? Friends, you are whatever he says that you are. You are not the lies that you feel, the desires that you have, the dreams that you hope to achieve, or who you were raised by and where you come from. All of those things that our society preaches and teaches and indoctrinates in you that they believe makes up the sum total of who and what you are is not true. There are things about you that come from God that were purposely positioned in you and you were purposely placed in certain places and positions and families and things for that purpose and reason. But at the end of the day, truly I say to you, more than all of those things and your giftedness and your shortfalls, you are whatever he says that you are. I'm going to prove it to you right now. And I believe that we're all going to receive a word from heaven this morning. You see, John... Jesus' most beloved disciple. We talked about him week one. John, who was banished to Patmos, an island. He was boiled in water. He worked in a stone mill on this island that he was banished to. He is Jesus' cousin, his most favorite disciple. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus, while John is on this island in Patmos, Jesus says, I've chosen you, John. An invitation to visions of what must happen in order for you to tell the church, for the world to get out, for the word to get out, this is what must happen in order for not only Jesus to come back, but for the bride to be all that she is destined and, and, and made to be in the earth. And John's like, yeah, man, let's go. So John, while he's in this middle of this rock mine on this island all by himself, he just got to be boiled in oil and banished away from everything he was called to do. Man, John, was he was told by Jesus before Jesus was crucified, take care of my mother. And John wasn't even able to do that because he was banished to an island by Caesar at the time. And so all of a sudden, a revelation 217 we're going to put it up on the screen Jesus he's he's telling John there's a church that he's talking about and he's like there's going to be this church and much like what Peter is writing to they're going to allow false theology and false doctrine and they're going to allow all of these things to come into the church that should not be there that have no place being there that are not fit for my bride John they need to repent funny enough that that's been a reoccurring word this morning he says they need to repent friends can I submit to you this morning that repentance is equal parts turning around and equal parts what you give permission to you see you cannot be God's chosen possession if you don't give him permission to possess you because you give your anger permission you give your spouse permission you give sex permission you give all these other things in the world permission to possess you, to run you, to develop in you, to be birthed in you, to come out of you. You give all of that permission, whether you think you do or you don't. That goes back to that self-control. You gave that allowance. What do you give permission to? Because we can tell, right? Just look no further than Judas. 
You can follow Jesus but not give him permission to possess you. You can follow Jesus. You can turn, repent, and walk the other direction, but that doesn't mean you give the guy you're following permission to possess you. And Jesus tells John, they need to repent. And then Jesus says this in Revelation 2, 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, again, that Greek word Nike, the one who overcomes, the one who is victorious. That's what conquered Nike means. The one that conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna to. Friends, pause there real quick. I don't claim to know what the hidden manna is that Jesus is referring to. Because I do believe it's different for each believer. But what I do know is there are some things that Jesus only chooses to share with his chosen possessions. Not just his followers, not just his fans, but the people who have given him permission, possess me. He says, you conqueror, you, I will share some of my hidden manna. There is something that I have for you that only you will find as you allow me to take over your lives. Continue. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. And on that stone, that, that was written on that stone, no one knows except the one who receives it. Underneath your seat right now, you are going to find a black permanent marker and a white stone. Would you grab that and then stand up for me? Underneath your seat, white stone, black permanent marker. Grab that bad Jackson. The Lord's getting ready to move in your life. The Lord's getting ready to move in your life because he's moving in my life right now up on this stage. You see, if you don't know, this is what Jesus is referring to. You see, again, John, a good Jewish boy, grew up in this time. What would happen is the reason the white stone is significant is because if you were accused of a crime in this day and age, you would go before a judge, a jury, you'd have an attorney, and then there would be an accuser, someone who lays these charges against you. And after the jury would make their decision, they would go to the judge and they would either give a charge with a black rock signifying guilty or they would lay with a white stone an acquittal. And Jesus says, you will receive a white stone, your acquittal. Your acquittal. You're not guilty. You're not even innocent. You have been deemed these charges cannot stand against you. You are whatever he says that you are. You are whatever he says that you are. And you are whatever this white stone says that you are. Because Jesus says you will receive a white stone that has a name written on it that only you who received the white stone will know. We're about to go into this last song. And what I want you to do is a little wild. It's a little audacious. It takes a little bit of faith, but I believe if you've got a little bit of mustard seed faith in you this morning, you can receive a word from God. And what I want you to do is this. During this next song, pray. Ask God, what do you say I am? Am I a fighter? Am I a warrior? Am I free? Am I made pure? Am I holy? Am I clean? Am I white as snow? What am I? And I want you to write down the first word that you feel like is from heaven on this stone. Because when you leave the courthouse, God is your judge. Jesus 
is your jury. He is your peer. Holy Spirit is your attorney. And the enemy is your accuser. And he's going to come at you and he's going to say, you're this. You're worthless. You're unholy. You're dirty. You're this. You're that. You're the next thing. And you get to hold up your white stone and say, friend, enemy, accuser, I am who he says I am. When I'm at work, I am who he says I am. In my car, I am who he says I am. In my marriage, I am who he says I am. In my depression, in my doubt, in my suicidal thoughts, no, I am who he says I am. So let's sing, let's pray, and I want you truly, write it down on the rock and take that with you. You show hell who and what you are. Let's worship. Come on.